if you take your Bibles tonight, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we'll look at verse 1. We're looking at the, the thought tonight, when God asks a question, when God asks a question, and we'll look at, at verse 1 of Mark chapter 15, and it says, And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witnessed against thee. But Jesus yet answered no thing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had done, ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priest moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall calling, called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him, led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one, Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place, Golgotha, which is being interpreted, the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself, and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves, 
with the scribes. He saved others himself. He cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, behold, he calleth Elias. One ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Tonight we're going to look at that verse 34, where Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just help me as I open your word and uh, consider this thought uh, when you ask a question, what it means, and uh, I pray that you would help us as we look into your word tonight. I pray that you'd work in hearts and pray you'd help us. Uh, and Lord, I just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Uh, a few weeks ago, I uh, opened up my mailbox and I pulled out a few letters from it and um, I thumbed through them. Some of it was junk mail, threw it out and uh, I landed on one. It was from the Solicitor General in Court of Alberta. And I was a little concerned. Maybe I was getting a call to the jury, and I'm not sure if that's something we do here, but uh, maybe being called to stand on, on the jury uh, for some court hearing. And uh, so I was a little worried about that, having to take time off to deal with that. And, uh, and I looked at that, and I brought it in. I opened it up, and it was a, a notice uh, of a, a speeding violation. I, uh, I apparently I had been going too fast to the men's breakfast in July, and this was September, and they, they had to notify me two months later that I was going too fast on 111 Ave. And uh, have you ever been pulled over? Thankfully, that was not, not a uh, situation where I was pulled over, because uh, that would have been on my record. I've never had a speeding ticket, but that was my first speeding ticket. And, uh, but have you ever been pulled over and the police officer, he comes up to your window, and he asks you, do you know why I pulled you over? Do you know how fast you were going? I remember when I was uh, in just finishing up high school, right before I went to college, I worked a job. I was a sandwich artist at Quiznos. And uh, I, I made subs, and I worked after school and into about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And so uh, being younger, I didn't have my uh, full license at that time, and so my brother... Uh, my foster brother would come pick me up, and it was about 15, 20 minutes away from where I lived. And so we would drive back, and uh, it was 15 or 20 minutes, but he was determined every single time to make it five minutes. Um, we, one night, we're driving down the road. I've asked him time and time before, slow down, this is too fast. And we're going down a back road in Ontario, and it's uh, 80 kilometers of speed limit. And I'm sitting there in the passenger seat just praying, God, help him not to hit anything. Help him not to veer off the road. I don't want to die this young. And so he's driving down the road. We get over to a hill, and we get to the crest of the hill. 
and just comedic justice, a, a black uh, Ford Explorer, which in Ontario and maybe here as, as well, is uh, typically the uh, vehicle of choice for the uh, police department. And so the police uh, officer, he whips by, or we whip by the police officer. He's crawling at a snail's pace compared to us. And uh, we're going about 160 kilometers per hour. And uh, the police officer flips his lights on, turns around. My, my brother, he's just like, what do I do? I've been caught. And so he pulls over, and uh, the police officer com comes up to the window and asks him the question, son, do you know how fast you were going? And I wanted to lean over there and say, I know how fast he's going. I can tell you right now. Because I wanted him to, I wanted him to change his behavior. But you see, the police officer didn't ask him that question because the police officer needed to know how fast he was going so he could write a ticket. He didn't ask him, "Do you know what you're doing? Do you know why I, why I pulled you over?" Uh, not because he didn't know. He was asking to see if he can get his attention, to see if uh, he would get my brother's attention, to see what he was doing was wrong. And see, when God asks us a question, it's not, all, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. God is omnipotent. Uh, we see in Psalm 139, Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. God can see before we even think about doing it. God knows exactly what we're going to do. And so for God to ask a question is not for him to gain knowledge. It's for us to evaluate what are we doing. We see God does this uh, with a few people in Scripture. Uh, when God asks a question, he always has a purpose. And uh, we see when he, he did this with Adam in Genesis chapter 3, and uh, it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God wasn't trying to find where, he, where Adam had wandered off to. God knew exactly where Adam was, but it was for God to get Adam's attention and say, Why are you hiding? What, what have you done that you have to hide? And also we see God did this with Jacob in, in Genesis 32. It says, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. God was wrestling with Jacob there in that uh, account. And it wasn't that God was trying to figure out who was this person he's wrestling with. He knew it was Jacob. But Jacob, for Jacob to admit his name, Jacob meaning supplanter, meaning deceiver, uh, it was for Jacob to say, this is who I am, and he had to uh, admit that and confess that to God. So when God asks, a, is, asks us a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God has a purpose in asking the question. And so have you considered why uh, Jesus, God the Son, God with us, would ask the question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have you considered why God the Son would ask that question? When I, when I was thinking about this question, why would Jesus say, ask that question? If, if he knows why, and maybe it's for a few reasons that, that came to mind. We see, if you look here at Romans chapter 6, uh, we see that it might be to, for us to ponder what the cost of our sins looks like. Have you considered what the cost of your sins uh, are recently? Have you considered what that looks like, what, that, uh, what your sins cost? And in Romans chapter 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death. 
And I'm glad it doesn't stop there. I'm glad that that's the beginning of the verse, but it's not the end of the verse. But our, our sins, we have, by our sin, we have earned death. And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's, that's pretty elementary to, to us who are Christians. We understand that the wages of our sin is death, separation, death and separation, uh, similar concepts when we, when, we sin against, when we sinned against God, we were separated uh, from God. Uh, but we see that uh, when we sin, we've earned death. Uh, with, in Adam's case, it wasn't uh, immediate physical death. It was spiritual death where he was separated from God in fellowship. And so when we sin, we earn death. And that breaks that fellowship with God. And that ties into the second part of this. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, which, uh, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, if you're a Christian, uh, the Holy Spirit is with you wherever you go. The, the Holy Spirit uh, is with you whenever you go. Uh, at any time and anywhere you go for the rest of your life, uh, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And when we sin against God, we are grieving uh, the Holy Spirit. We are quenching his spirit. We are uh, limiting the work uh, that he can do through us. Paul, he, he's speaking to uh, the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this church that had uh, many issues and uh, just immorality. And he asks them, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify, your, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, the Holy Spirit, he lives in us, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And your body is not yours. There's so many people today who say, well, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Uh, but God has clearly told us if we're his, and we've been uh, filled with his spirit, our body is no longer ours. When you sin, you quench uh, the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Uh, the Holy Spirit, he wants to do an amazing work through each one of us Christians. He wants to uh, do an amazing work reaching the world through each one of us. Uh, but when we sin, uh, we're choosing uh, to put, out that, put water on that fire. We're choosing to uh, limit what God can do. And so when we sin, uh, we, uh, we see the cost of sin. When we sin, we sear our conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, it says in verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. When we choose to sin against God, we are choosing to depart from the faith, and to give in the false teaching and lies uh, because our conscience has been seared or toughened. I, rem I remember uh, back last fall, pastor gave me uh, my first time ever having venison steak. And I remember getting that steak and putting it ho at home and I, uh, I put it in my freezer and I, I was like, I gotta save this for a special, special time. And so I think it was Valentine's Day came about and uh, I pulled it out of the freezer and I was watching videos, trying to understand how to prepare a steak. I, 
I rarely have steak in the house ever, so this is a first time for me, and I'm learning how to cook it and, and prepare it so it tastes good. And uh, they say when you uh, cook it, I, I don't know if this is correct, but when you cook it, you get your pan. I had a carbon steel pan, and get your, get your pan uh, ripping hot, and uh, you put your steak in there, and it, it sears it. The, the outside layer of the meat gets harder, crisper, and it kills off all the bacteria on the outside. And so I, I put it in there, and um, our, my, our poor little uh, stovetop vent fan could hardly handle uh, the amount of smoke that I created, and my, my wife's coughing over in the room, going, <laughs> and I'm dying. And uh, I get it, and I flip it, and then I add some butter and some rosemary, and I start uh, ladling some butter onto it. And at the end of it all, it, it turned out, and it tastes pretty good, but the house is full of smoke. But you see... <laughs> Once I, once I got it and took it out and put it on the plate and I cut it open, on the outside of it was a nice, hard crust. It was a good, crispy crust. But the inside of it, it was as close as, uh, to medium rare as I could get, as far as I understood. And so it was nice and soft in the inside. That's a good thing when it comes to food. But when it comes to our conscience, uh, God wants us to have uh, rare consciences. God wants us to have consciences that are willing uh, to receive conviction, to receive the truth of God's word. And when we willingly choose to sin, we're taking our conscience and throwing it on that carbon steel pan. We're taking our consciences and, and toughening the outside of it so that when conviction comes, when the word of God is preached, it no longer convicts us as much as it used to. So our sin, when, when we sin, it sears our conscience. Uh, when we sin, uh, we affect others. We are not alone in our sin. Uh, I, I spoke about it just a few moments ago, but Adam uh, in the garden, his sin did not just affect Adam. It affected everyone who's here tonight. It affected everyone in the world. Everyone that would follow after Adam because of Adam's one decision affected everyone else in the world. We see Achan uh, in the Old Testament, he uh, was, uh, his sin affected many people, even though it was just, seemed like a small thing to him. He uh, went in after battle and took some things uh, that he was not allowed to out of the city. And he took those things, even though he was commanded not to, and he hid them in under his tent. And so when uh, Israel, I believe, when they went into battle, uh, they didn't have as victory as they used to. And and so they realized something was wrong and someone had taken of the accursed thing. And so now they're trying to figure out who it is and Achan comes, confesses, and we see that Achan's sin didn't only affect Achan, it affected all the people who went into battle. It affected his family, uh, his, his children, his wife. Uh, it affected everyone in, uh, around him uh, because of his one decision to take something that didn't belong to him and keep it. You see, our sin, it affects others. We're not alone. We're not an island in our life. Uh, private little sins, things that we do, we think that, oh, well, no one will ever see that. No one will ever know that I did that. But it has impacts. It has domino effects in our life that it influences other things in our lives. And God has his way that our sin will be found out. So the cost of our sin we see in Isaiah chapter 53. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 53. 
I remember talking about this passage with a Jewish rabbi when I was in New York City. I asked him, I said, what then of Isaiah 53? What, is, what does that mean to you? If you don't believe there's a Messiah, if you don't believe that Christ was the Messiah, then what does Isaiah 53 mean to you? And he, he went on about something about how this passage was speaking about uh, the children of Israel throughout history and how they would be afflicted and despised. But I, I find it's a very hard conclusion to come to when you read through this. As we've just read uh, the account of the crucifixion, this passage comes so obvious who this is speaking about. So let's look at Isaiah 53 and verse number one. Who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. And he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was, wound, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We see the cost of our sin is pictured in Christ here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He, the, our sin... Uh, was placed upon Christ. And this is our next point, uh, that uh, I believe that Jesus Christ, he asked this question, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe he asked uh, for us to remember uh, that he took our sins upon himself. We see, uh, if we continue in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We see, I believe, Jesus asked that question for us to remember that Christ bore our sins. In 2 Corinthians, we see in chapter 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2, miss B there, uh, who his own self bear 
our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whom, whose stripes ye were healed. Because he took our sins upon himself, we should live unto righteousness. God's grace uh, he's given to every single person, and especially to those who have believed. God has expressed and extended his grace to everyone. Uh, and so God's grace is not a permission slip uh, to go sin. God's grace is not liberty to go sin and do whatever you want. And you say, well, I've, I've gotten God's grace. Uh, all my sins are forgiven. When God looks at me, uh, he sees the Son and he sees no sin. Uh, I am righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ did. And some would say, well, then that gives me freedom to go do whatever I'd like with my life. But God is saying that we should live unto righteousness Jesus Christ bore our sin upon himself that we would live unto righteousness. God has given us his grace, not as, a, as liberty to go sin, but as an enablement to have victory over sin. We sang tonight, victory in Jesus, and sing about that victory that God has given us uh, because of his grace. And Paul asks this question of the, of the church at uh, Rome. He asks them and says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And I remember, I believe in college it was, I, I learned uh, in Greek that phrase that we translate as God forbid. Uh, I believe if I'm correct, I don't know if you can remember. Uh, but that phrase, God forbid, is a double, double negative in uh, Greek. And in Greek, it's a little different than in English. In English, a double negative uh, he did not do that would be he did that. But in, in Greek, I believe uh, the double negative is emphasizing even further than a negative. And so literally it would be saying, uh, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, never, never. Paul is saying, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And then later on it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Tonight, have you, have you, are you living the crucified life? Are you dying uh, to your sin? Are you dying to self? Are you putting uh, those uh, sins behind you? Are you uh, choosing uh, to live in Christ? When we... Uh, we're saved. We were uh, our old man was crucified. We died. Uh, our old man uh, was is dead, and now we have new life. And so now we have God's power to overcome sin. A lot of people will say, "Well, uh, this Christian thing where uh, you say, well, you just have just have to have God's grace, and you can overcome sin.'" But the the lost people think, "Well, I, I'm just I'm continuing to sin, and I can't uh, understand why this. How does this work?" Uh, you have to be saved and have God's power to overcome sin. Uh, you have to have his grace to overcome sin. So what sins are you struggling with? What sins have you been letting aside and saying, well, uh, that's okay, that's, that's fine. It's just a little thing. It's, it's just a little uh, thing I'm going to put under my tent and, and hide like Achan did. What little things are you, are you letting aside? And you think it's not going to affect anyone. Uh, the things, you see, it's the things in the Bible that I, 
uh, don't understand, they don't really bother me, but it's the things that I do understand. And when we understand uh, God wants us to do certain things and God doesn't want us to do other things, and we, we do those things or we don't do what God wants us to do, that, that is sin for, for God. And so are you asking God for his help to overcome sin? We see that Jesus, he bore those sins on his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin through him. And last, I, I say most important tonight, uh, I believe Jesus asked this question, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I believe he asked this question for us to remember that he was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. And in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, uh, if we look at this verse here, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number five, and said, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God, uh, Jesus Christ is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And God has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. If we are his, he will never leave us or forsake us. Now, when we choose to sin and we choose to do what God uh, tells, tells us not to do, it may feel like God is not there. It may feel like we don't, see, we don't sense his presence, we don't sense uh, his communion in our life because we've, uh, not that we have uh, lost our salvation, but we have broken fellowship with him. When we choose to sin, uh, God says, you need to become right with me before we can have fellowship again. Now, when we choose to sin, it may not feel like God is there, but God is always there. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is just a step away if we would turn to him and choose to follow him, choose to repent of our sin. God is just a step away. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And it reminds me of the story of the prodigal and his father. The prodigal son uh, went out and came back after living a life of sin. And when he came back to his father, it wasn't that the father had left and gone anywhere. The prodigal had left and left the father and gone to do what he would want to do and live the sinful life he would want to do. When he came back to the, the father, we saw that he received him. He, he loved him, gave him the, the robe, the, the, crown, the, the ring, uh, the feast, all of that. And when we come back to God, God is willing to accept us and to uh, show his love to us. And if, you're, if you feel like tonight that uh, you feel far from God, you feel like I don't have that fellowship with God, I feel like every time I go to him in prayer and I feel like uh, I try to pray, uh, but I don't, feel, I don't sense that God's listening. Consider in your life, is there anything in your life that might be hindering you from fellowship with God, that you've sinned against God and you're letting it slide, you're letting it go? Now, I'm thankful that God, uh, he's promised to never forsake us, to never leave us. Uh, there are some people who think that you can lose your salvation, that you can uh, do something and all of a sudden, you no longer are saved, uh, but we can never be removed from his hand. We see in John chapter 10, uh, and Jesus is speaking, he says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on and explains, Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
And so we, if we are saved, we're in Jesus Christ's hand. My fa- and then he says, My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We see Jesus explaining to us that we're secure in Christ, and Christ also, and the Father is also, we're also secure in the Father, and all of that together, we are, there's no way, in, uh, no way at all uh, that we would be able to be plucked from his hand. There's nothing that we can do uh, to lose our salvation. There's nothing uh, that the devil can do that we would lose our salvation. There's nothing that anyone else can do in the world uh, that we would uh, lose our salvation. And so if you're struggling uh, with your salvation and, and knowing for sure that you're saved, and you're wondering, am I still saved? Remember that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing at all that you can do uh, that you can remove yourself or someone else can remove you from the hand of God. You see, my, my pastor back in Ontario, he often said, eternal life wouldn't be eternal if you could lose it. Everlasting life wouldn't be everlasting if you could lose it. And so I'm thankful tonight as I, as I thought about this, this question of Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It reminded me that there's a cost to my sin. There's a cost to my decisions to disobey God. It reminded me uh, that uh, God, the Son, took our sins upon him and that I can be seen as righteous before God. I can be seen as just Anyone here could be seen as righteous before God because of what he did. And because of that, I have the power uh, through God to live unto righteousness. And then lastly, I believe that Jesus asked this question uh, for us to remember that he was forsaken uh, so that we would never be forsaken. So have you considered the cost of your sin? Have you considered the things that you're doing in your life? And there's areas where you're letting some things slide and you're, you're just saying, well, that's, that's not really big. It's not really affecting much. Are you considering the, the cost of that and the butterfly effect that might come from that? Have you considered uh, the fact that Jesus took your load of sin? And if you're living through this life and you're saying, well, I've done so many terrible things in my past. I don't know how God could use me. I don't know how I could serve God. I don't know how I could be useful to him and you're bearing that load of sin, are you forgetting that Jesus died on the cross? He bore our sin, bore your sin in your place. Uh, and he took that sin from you, and God looks at you now as righteous. He sees his son when he looks at you. Remember that Jesus Christ took that load of sin off of you. And you can live in freedom and liberty and in his power Uh, to serve him and don't have to be burdened down by what you've done in the past. He wants us to live in righteousness. He wants us to be examples uh, to the world of uh, God and his his glory. And so, and then last, if if you've been struggling and you're not sure if you're thinking, well, I, I don't know if I'm still saved, know this for sure, that God was forsaken once so that we would never be forsaken. Jesus Christ was forsaken once so that we would never be forsaken. If we've trusted Christ for salvation, we can never uh, lose our eternal life. So let's close uh, in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, 
this, this thought uh, from your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you uh, never will forsake us, Lord, that we are always uh, yours and uh, there's nothing that we can do uh, to uh, lose our salvation. And Lord, I, I thank you for that hope uh, that we have, that we can know that uh, no matter what happens in life, uh, we are yours. And Lord, I pray you would help us, Lord, as we uh, try to live this Christian life, that we would do it through your power, uh, that we would uh, overcome sin because you have uh, died in our, our place, Lord. And I pray you would help us to uh, die to self, die uh, to sin, and be, live unto righteousness, Lord. I just thank you for uh, these things, Lord. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.